0: You're listening to Beyond Numbers, a podcast by Zero for accountants and bookkeepers. In this series, you'll hear from leaders within some of the accounting industry's pace-setting firms who will share news, views, and creative solutions so you can step away with some inspiration or new ideas to take back to your own business. In this episode of Beyond Numbers, we delve into the fascinating journey of multi-award-winning firm Ad Valorum. Husband and wife duo Nigel and Nikki Adams are joint managing directors, and along with marketer George Bruce, they share their impressive story of growth and reveal some of the secrets behind their thriving business. We explore Ad Valorem's unique team structure and focus on culture, their approach to sales and marketing, and their digitization journey. Nigel, Nikki, and George also share their experience acquiring firms to grow, including the valuable lessons learned along the way. So, if you're interested in the inner workings of a thriving accountancy practice and want to gain a load of insights to take back to your own firm, this episode is a must listen. Nikki, Nigel, George, welcome to Beyond Numbers. Hello. Thank you. Thanks very
1: much.
0: Thank I'm super pleased to have you uh, on the podcast today. Uh, we all pay so much attention to what you are doing at Edvalorum, so I'm really excited to hear more about you know the details and what you've been up to. So. I guess let's start with a bit about the history of ad Valorum. Nigel, and Nikki, you're a husband and wife duo, obviously, joint managing directors. What got you started in business together twenty years ago?
1: Well, I think from our, from our perspective, a lot of it was family generated. Nikki was a director of a big recruitment company in London during the '90s. I was working with uh, as finance director for a very large oil and gas company, which were very hectic lifestyles. So we were travelling a lot and doing all the stuff that everybody does, seven days a week and all that sort of thing, as you, as you do, as you're building your career. Uh, but we had our first child, mid-90s, at which point Nikki took a sabbatical from her career to look after uh, Luke and Latterley Connor who followed a couple of years later. So we actually took a, a bit of a backseat and said, right, okay, we need to actually work around the family for a few years. I've always had a passion for working with small business, um, which is quite a paradox too, obviously the the huge company i was working with during the 90s so we set up very much with the focus of working with small businesses with also the mindset of being able to give us more time at home with our children we were very much in a lifestyle mode to a degree we were certainly a lot more laid back um, for the first probably seven or eight years of adval's existence but our aspirations were very much from my perspective it was relearning practice because i yeah, you know, obviously I've been out of it for a long time when I was in industry. And I think the big advantage we got with that is, and with having a period out of practice, was I came back to it with new questions. So why do we do it that way? Why do we have to do things that we did 20 years ago now? Even then, even before cloud, the industry was changing and the, the methods of communication were changing and our clients' requirements were changing. So um, I think we've always been in a state where we've been constantly looking and focusing on the business to say there has to be a better way. Is there a better way of working with our clients? Is there a better way of engaging with with our team? Can we use technology even then at its early stages in a better way to take away a lot of that stuff that clients don't really see?
2: I think that's where I came into it really, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Because uh, my, my father was a systems analyst and a business analyst. So I'd always come at things looking at how can we do things better? How can we use technology? And that's my thing. So I think that's what I brought to it really was that people focus using technology. And I think 2008 was really the pivotal year for us where I had a flyer came over my desk one day for how do you build a £2 million practice? And I think at that point, we were about 600 turnover and not making any money. So we weren't enjoying it. We had some clients that were difficult that that were sucking up a lot of our personal time. So I think it got to that point and we thought, well, this is not delivering what we originally set out, which was having more of a balance between our home life and our work life. And also we wanted to look for a model that was more scalable. So we, we were thinking actually, can we make money at this? Is it something that we can do or are we gonna have to go back to our old careers? But this flyer came across my desk of, you know, how to build a £2 million practice. And it was one of those game-changing moments. We went to this, um, it was an AVN conference and we heard Steve Pipe talk. It wasn't just about what we could deliver. We had a client bank of 600k, but when we sat and looked at it and said, what else can we do for these clients? We were very much in that mindset of just delivering what we could deliver. And I think what that conference did was made us look at what strategic partnerships we could build and then marketing came into it. We we'd not really spent any money on marketing. I know a lot of accountants are very proud that they don't spend money on marketing. And I think George <laughs> and I'm sure you Ash will be will be dying inside, you know, when people when when accountants don't see the value of it, because it's not just a question of marketing for clients. It's also for talent, building something that people are excited to be part of. And I think that's that was the start of it for us was 2008.
1: The whole essence of uh... Of that day and that was a pivotal day for us was about Gerberism which is effectively about working on the business rather than in it And I think you know the critique you see now uh, is a lot of accountants work in the business not on it so therefore they don't get a holistic view they become their own silos and equally which is quite strange for me, it's a big bugbear in mind this I, I get very ranty about this as professionals we're great accountants but we show no respect to other professions Uh, specifically marketing, sales, IT, HR. Analytics. Yeah, analytics. And the frustration I have with this is, you know, these are all very specialist roles, yet for some bizarre reason accountants believe, or a lot of accountants believe, oh, actually, yeah, we can do that. That's pretty easy, isn't it? If If the tables were turned, they would go absolutely nuts and we'd get pompous and throw all our toys out the prams. So for me, the whole essence of it is to start to trust other professionals to do a professional job so we came up with a concept very much of having something that is scalable and saleable but you have to commit to it not just give it rhetoric again another one of my pet peeves I see so many people you know on stage as thought leaders or whatever they want to call themselves but they're not actually doing it and we actually do it so I'm not about being an influencer. I'm not interested in that. I'm far too old to start with. Couldn't even switch the computer on to influence it. I can see you
2: on <laughs> Don't get him started it's on that not one. My, it's not my gig.
1: It's not my gig. For me, it's about breaking a system. And that goes back, you know, when I was in the 70s, you know, I was sort of a punk rocker and all about anarchy, even though we didn't really know what that meant at the time. But it's about creating an environment that is dynamic, that ticks the boxes both for external stakeholders like our clients and and then equally from a staff perspective it's actually recognizing the person rather than the qualification or the where they came from and I think there's an awful lot of diamonds in our team if you look at a lot of our team they came from unorthodox backgrounds some of our biggest stars absolutely influential in our business have been with us since school and I think that accountants get really really boxy um, and you've got to have, have that bigger view and I think that that's what Gerberism brought to us. It's a question of saying yeah. I know there's a limited number of clients that if I was looking after that we, could, that we could possibly service and depending on the practice that can be 400k or 500k per client. For us obviously we're much much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. I don't hold many of those relationships but what we've done is entrust our team and our systems and our processes To deliver a broader service to those wider range of clients and that's evolved really since 2008
2: we started developing strategic relationships and then once we had enough work that we could then pay for a specialist to be in-house that's how we we started it so when we uh, had enough work we got a specialist tax team built started to build that and that set us off on the sales route so that set us off with marketing and, and really looking at how we needed to build our marketing function so i don't know if this is a really good point for george to come in because uh we, we managed to get george from university
3: yeah so i joined the firm back in 2015 which seems like a long time ago yeah, now. A lifetime ago. <laughs> <laughs> lifetime, George. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and i've had many different roles over over that time but i originally started as a marketing and client support coordinator Uh, which was a really good grounding uh, because on the marketing side it meant I got to learn an awful lot not only about accountancy side of things but also about small business issues on the client support side of things which was really good from the marketing side because it meant that we could tailor our approach to what business owners actually really wanted and needed at the time and uh, it was around about the same time that we started getting really interested in um, the zero offering with our clients as well we'd got a few clients using the software and we thought, you know, this is a really good opportunity for us to focus on business owners putting their financial records on zero, to allow them to have more time and also bring the, the cost of compliance services down as well. So around about 12 months into um, the time um, at Avalorum, I co-created AV Cloud, which was Avalorum's cloud accountancy department at the time, along with a colleague who was AATT qualified. So he looked after the client management side of things and I looked after the business development side of things uh, on the sales and marketing front. We focused on bringing new clients on board uh, with the quick wins and then with the plan really to transition clients that have been clients at Avalorum for a long time since 2001. And uh, we're very proud that we've got clients um, still with us today that have been with us from, from day one. And the, the initial plan was for sort of two to three years um, for that transition to happen. But actually it happened a lot quicker than that. Um, so after around about eighteen months, we disbanded the AV Cloud branding on that side of things, and uh, Avalorum adopted the this, this strategies that AV Cloud had championed. Um, so we set up three tiers uh, of packages for business owners, from very basic up to providing sort of more and more advice as as we went up the tiers.
2: When we looked at how we could build the company more quickly, we realised acquisition was going to be the only way, really, because we once we'd you know utilised our own client bank and, and tapped into that quicker than um, building organically was was going down the acquisition route so i think it, just before george joined was the first acquisition that we did and, and that set us off on that path of acquiring then you find more work in that client bank that maybe that accountant couldn't provide and then that pays for the next one so it got us onto that cycle of acquisition which has been really the way main way that we've built plus We've built a sales team and a marketing team over that last four or five years. I think
1: the infrastructure has been the big thing that probably separates us from a lot of businesses. Before a platform became a buzzword, we, I guess we were sort of a platform. So our philosophy has always been to actually put the infrastructure in place, which leans very much back to Nikki's system analysis knowledge background, and then grow off the back of that platform. So, you know, I, I think we were talking to uh, our friends at the ACCA. And Claire, who was there at the time, actually asked a really serious question. She said, uh, you know, are you a business or a practice? It's not something I'd ever really considered, but you would say we're a business. We operate like a business. So that's very much all down to that infrastructure. So when we're acquiring... We already have the infrastructure to absorb the acquisition Mm -hmm. the first one i have to say was a training exercise (laughs) (laughs) which skinned our knees knees. we learned a great deal from it but i think you have to i think the reality is that you don't actually progress at all unless you make mistakes and you actually learn from those mistakes and and then evolve and i think that's very much what we've done so with our approach which is very much we're going to invest in the company we'll back george and alex to develop the cloud whilst not interrupting the main business. And actually, it ended up eating the main practice. I remember a strategy day, about two years later, where Advalorum had morphed into AV cloud. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I think that that comes along with focus and being able to constantly reinvent yourself, which I think is really important in what we do. We've always had a growth mindset mode. I think the market now is very, very exciting. I think that what cloud and digitization has done is open the market up and allows you to scale with the right mindset allows you to scale very effectively. One of the key things for us has always been to trust the people around you and back them and give them license to make mistakes and we give everybody a voice so there's no real hierarchy at Advail, you know there's no offices, there's no closed doors and interestingly as I say we were talking to investors who have been working alongside us to help us build the platform and the common theme coming back to us is actually you operate internally like a tech company that's why we can understand what you're doing and i think now we're becoming a lot more data farmers and again that upsets accountants a lot but you know it's it's how you use that information it's how you use the information and you can bring a lot more services to clients that would otherwise be ignored for us we looked at a different area we said actually with this whole 85 percent of the uk market are small family owner-managed businesses. That's what we are. I we're probably a bit bigger than that now, but in essence, we're still a f- small family owner-managed business, which is largely unserviced and doesn't have the access to advice, to be able to grow their business or to make the best of the business to achieve their goals. And I think that's really important. So for us, that was a big move. So A V Cloud started us on that move. And I think now we've really embraced that digital journey and uh, I think that that makes a big impact on our yeah, our team. I,
3: and I'd say as well, I think having Navy Cloud as a bit of a test bed uh, and allowing Alex and I to run with it and take ownership of it um, allowed not only Alex and I to learn um, along the way. And I think we've taken lessons that we learned from back then when it was on a much smaller scale that are still with us today in some of the strategies that we're using as, as part of the main mm-hmm. practice with our outsourcing um, side of things.
1: To be honest, guys, I'm, I'm probably going to get vilified for this. What we do is a very simple business and the truth of the matter is that 85% of small businesses that we work with, that 85% that's largely unlooked after, they don't really care about accounting. That's not what they're talking to us for. They expect that done. I think what cloud and digitisation allows us to do that is to actually make that as a foundation, give us data in order for us to be able to then offer additional services and offer advice as required. You have to keep the model really simple. We originally started off with three cloud packages. We've morphed that now to six, which represents different styles of of business from, we've got three compliance-led and three advisory-led packages. What we're able to do is actually say, right, okay, well, we think a one-page plan is really important to you. You know, it'll start to get you thinking about KPIs and about growing it. We can give you three months on the next stage platform Uh, at the same price you're paying at the moment. If it's no use to you, you can go back to what you're looking for. So it's that tech approach to pricing. So it's, it's trying to make it simple, making it really clear, speaking the language that clients understand. That's what we use tech for.
2: So I think this is where the people bit really comes in because actually, again, it's, I think, technical training, getting your qualification as an accountant is just the start. At some point, if you want to keep progress, you've got to decide: Are you going to be a service provider or a solution provider? Um, and that's how we look at the roles in the business. The development for those people is going to be different. So now, you know, we're in that situation where we've got to have a management structure. We're the size business that needs to have good managers that know how to delegate, that know how to talk to clients. You're not going to learn that from doing your technical training. You're just you're going to get your qualification, and that's step one. We do a lot of profiling in, in the company as well. I think years ago, I got frustrated because we wasted loads of money on recruitment. We just weren't getting the right people. And actually, Nigel's history, he came into accounting through being profiled. When I met him, he was a gardener. which uh, Everyone laughs at that. Um, he's a turf, turf accountant. accountant. <laughs> I got very, very confused. <laughs> um, so he was dyslexic. He didn't know that he um, had a gift for numbers. So that came through profiling. So we can do that quite cheaply now. You don't have to spend loads of money on this. Um, We do a a report that costs about 15 pounds a go, one based on personality, one based on team behavior. That's been very game changing as well because I think having a sales team, having a marketing team, having people from different walks of life, you get a mixture of personality types. And actually when we go into acquisitions, we look at acquisitions quite often people recruit the same. And I think that's what caps them. That's what stops them being able to progress. You talked a bit about Gerberism. Mm. There's a lot of
0: founder managed and owner managed firms, businesses, accountancy businesses. And you can imagine they get really caught up in the day to day and don't have that time to actually say, how can I work on the business more? So what kind of advice do you have in your from your experience? Because you're kind of more mid-sized to large now, I suppose. How did you sort of take yourself out of that thinking and start thinking about how do I improve this business? How did you allow yourself the time?
2: I think you have to recognise that that you have to invest. We were lucky in in terms of we'd made our money before we set the company up, really. You know, so we'd made money in our careers and we weren't under that much pressure to build a successful business. So we, we started off, we didn't have a grand plan. But I think we we started listening to mentors. We had, we've had various mentors along the way. And they've helped us to get there because we knew that we needed to have more time to work on the business. But to start with, it was very much me doing the people and the systems bit, Nigel doing the client bit. And actually, we realised that we needed to probably cross over a bit more on that. And you needed to come out of the client-facing bit more.
1: Yeah, and that's tough. That I mean, is no, tough, I think that's yeah. the biggest challenge that you, you face. I mean, I think from our perspective, when we started to say, right, the only way we're going to make this scalable is if we actually take me out of the of, of the uh, direct line of fire. It's quite interesting, actually, because we looked at some key members of the team. Uh, and I think a lot of accountants get very nervous, saying, oh, the, these members of staff are going to run off, set up on their own, take all our clients. Uh, I think that you're overestimating an awful lot of people. It's bloody hard work running a business or a practice. I think the key thing there was was very much looking at the t- various team members you've got. And a lot of them hold the relationships any rate. So they're already talking to the client. And it's then just empowering them to say, okay, on an ongoing basis now, a Bill or whoever will be your primary point of contact. And it was quite amusing actually because the response we got generally was, well, I speak to Bill, any rate. Then that's really good. And you always forget what you, know, you always forget what I've told you, any rate, um, until I have to remind you. So yeah, I'll just speak to Bill. That's great. Uh, which you do. I mean, if you're running a business and it's growing, you can't possibly remember everything and stay sane.
2: I think one of the things we did find difficult was finding good senior people, and that, and that was one of the reasons. Again, was a sort of secondary reason for acquisitions because we realised that good senior people are expensive and they generally come up the ranks wherever they are. So the ones that move around might not be the ones that you want. You know, a few years ago, we, we bought a firm called Taylor Roberts and that had a senior manager, a young senior manager in there. And I think the thing that we found before we did that was that if you take a senior hire on and you've got a big salary, there's an immediate pressure on that person to go and have a portfolio. So if you haven't got a ready-made portfolio, that's very difficult, very difficult to do. And we actually now probably do acquisitions more for the people than we do for the clients because you tend to find the good clients will come with the good people. So...
1: Yeah, I think that's that's been a big thing we've yeah. learned, hasn't it? I think as well, sort of when you come back to that sort of as you start to pull back, what we've developed in those days, we haven't really got a name for it, but we'd now call it a pod. So for us, what we do is we have a number of pods with each with a pod lead. Uh, Typically, there would be a newly qualified accountant. Uh, You then have a a senior leader who looks after all of the pods. Uh, And pod lead is typically seven to eight staff, probably generically half a million pound turnover per pod. And the important thing is that the clients have a number of touch points. So if, for instance, Ben's not in this week, they know they can speak to Tony Ann or to whoever and everybody is small enough for people to be able to understand the client requirements and the big advantage is as well going back to what Nikki was saying then is from a staff retention perspective we're able to talk about development so when you're actually talking to a new member of staff the key thing we're getting asked all the time now never was in my day is oh well what's my progression even from guys coming from school what's my progression and I think where a lot of accountants fall over is they can't really they can't really show them a progression you know, it's very much dead man's shoes. Well, if you're here in 40 years time, you know, you might be able to walk through that door one day and uh, and suddenly have your own desk. And, and you know, and there's no wonder that there's a, a whole deluge of people leaving practice if that's the messaging they're being given. So I think it's, we've got to change the rhetoric in my view and we've got to really shake up what we're doing. And we can't just sit here bleating while well, we lose everybody to industry or people, we aren't getting the people coming into practice anymore yep. it's because we're not making it a place that's conducive to making people want to be part of it
0: yeah and how many staff have you got now like 60 or so 70 odd yeah. lost track 72 i think we've got <laughs> a couple 72. of new starters coming in yeah 72, 72 i think yeah. at the moment i think whenever i speak to anyone at ad valorem i get the sense of like friendship and family and it's obviously a really family's core really Absolutely lovely core. culture how would you describe the culture george
3: I think you've, you've summed it up well in terms of the family um, side of things and even going back sort of seven, seven years ago when I first started with the firm, it's been a very open environment. Uh, Nikki and Nigel are very open in terms of the vision that they've got with the practice, which I actually think really helps the members of staff within the firm. Talking about progression, it gives them something to kind of latch onto and think, you know, where do they see themselves as part of the practice in two, three years time in terms of our growth plans as well. But yeah, I mean, I think um, we, we have a culture club at Avalorum as well, which is designed effectively to try and maintain the culture that we've had as a smaller business as we grow. And we're dealing with small clients as well. So I think it's really important that we don't lose sight of that.
0: And I suppose having that pod system as well and the ability to have career progression is such a, like a really positive thing to have as part of your culture as well. So you don't have people who are feeling like they're not getting what they need.
3: It's really interesting, I think. Nicky mentioned out of our senior management team I think half of the senior management team maybe even more are now in roles that they didn't start in when they started at Avalorum and um, quite rightly so in, in terms of the pod system that's quite a structured way that um, junior members of the accounts team for example can progress up and become pod leaders over over a period of time but also with the different departments and service lines that we had um, at Avalorum and as well as the um, operations and sort of headquarters roles as well gives people the opportunity to perhaps move into a a different area that they've not thought of before i mentioned alex coombs who started av cloud and he was aat qualified is now our head of operations and manages our salesforce system Um, so it's quite varied but with his background of understanding the accountancy side of the business as well um, it works really well
0: yeah. And what other things do you have going on as part of your culture club?
3: Typically, we run events over the year which are effectively designed to bring the company together as a whole. And we do a lot of charity work in, in that space as well. But also, we see it as a facilitation as well. So for members of the team that are perhaps interested in something or a new starter, it can be quite daunting joining a team of, of 70 and, and being the, the, the new person in the room. Um, so we see it as a facilitation for connecting people as well that have got similar interests.
0: Well, let's talk a bit about digitization. What have you got uh, in terms of your team structure and like, how do you focus on digitization and move forward and keep up with the times?
1: Digitization for us is as an extension to cloud has been really pivotal in allowing us to push the business forward. So we have three simple stages to get our clients from cloud to digitization. The first one is all our cloud clients have to have bank feeds. Uh, we're currently running at 87%. The second stage of it is they have to have data capture whether that is HubDoc or Dext uh, or whatever other form, but they have to have data capture. So uh, the final point that we have is all your clients' bank accounts have to be reconciled uh, at least monthly so that you've then got some clarity and some some confidence that the records are in, in a reasonable shape. I think the final bit of the jigsaw for us was Xavier, which is now part of Dext. I think it's Precision, they call it now. I always forget the name. Uh, but for us, we have that across our whole client bank and that effectively, great. we use the grading system that's provided through Precision in order for us to be able to assess the quality of the bookkeeping. Is it 100% perfect? No, it's not. You're not going to get 100% perfect in any business. But it's good enough for us to be able to get a good feel, holistic feel, on where at the position our client records are in. The advantage with that is once you've got data that has integrity, You can then start to put offerings from uh, across the whole client bank. You don't have to go individually. And I think, again, one of the issues that you tend to have is with smaller firms and historically is you're going very much on what the accountant thinks rather than actually what the client wants. So what we're able to do is run one-page reports. We can run it across our whole portfolio if we want. For some clients, it's a complete waste of time. But for a few of those clients they can turn around and say oh actually that's really useful didn't know that existed can we have a conversation but it's just allowing you to be able to do things at volume at scale and it then that's recognizing the individual smaller businesses as business small businesses in their own right and that connectivity is really important so that's what digitization brings we were in possession of huge amounts of data so it's how can we use that better for our clients the better Performance for our clients businesses so you know things like cost analysis collective bargaining Bargaining is, is something I've got in my mind where we can actually say well we've got 200 clients all using the same supplier all at different rates well can we bring that together and have a rate for an ad valorem client
0: yeah um, and who have you got on the team that's focused on digitization and transformation and looking for opportunities
2: well, we were very, very lucky. We were introduced to a, a guy called Toby Perkins, who has come on as our transformation and data analytics director. So his background, he was a demand forecast analyst in a previous life. So he, again, he's come at it with no accounting knowledge. Uh, he's coming at it, looking at it very fresh, but again, understanding what small businesses need. So the challenge for him is now getting us into that position. You know, we're trying. We're our goal is to get to a 10 million pound practice in the next two years so we're we're getting there we're probably going to be six and a half this year and the reason for that is that when you're looking at the future that we see the vision that we have we're going to need a lot of clients to be able to take a small amount of profit from each of those to be able to pump back into that innovation to make things different so otherwise it's just going to carry on the way it has and nothing will improve so We've got some news coming up on that front um, in who we're going to partner up with for the future there.
1: Watch this space. Watch this space, <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: but it's very important to us that we, you know, we're looking for that next sort of five, ten years. There's masses of transformation that needs to happen. It needs to happen in the government as well. In the, in the uh, HMRC is our biggest bugbear. But for that vision um, and to stay true to our marketplace, you've got to have quite a lot of clients to work with. Um, so I feel we're in a startup at the moment. I feel we've just about mm. started that foundation and the vision that we've got, I think can just carry on for good. That's where we're passing on to the next generation, George, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: I think the ultimate reason though for bringing Toby on board is the Transformations and Analytics Director uh, and the acquisitions as well, whether it's acquiring for staff or acquiring for clients, um, is really to improve our client experience and, yeah. and, to, yeah. and ultimately comes back down to the client, isn't it?
1: I think that's a really interesting point. One of the projects we did through COVID, actually, we took three days out just to analyse, you know, what the hell are we doing here, basically? What is the most important things to all of us, all of our different, with all our different hats on? Uh, And we brought a facilitator in uh, who was actually a board member of L'Oreal, wasn't she? Uh, she She's a very senior uh, exec coach. But interestingly, after three days, the big thing uh, that we came up with was the most important thing all of us agreed on, with clients,
2: and client experience. Client
1: experience was absolutely mm-hmm. the most important thing. So we then said, well, actually, we're thinking about spending huge amounts of money on accounting software and you know other things. Why are we not actually just turning around and saying, well, if client experience is our most important thing, we need to put all of our money into that that thing. So uh, as CRM, a CRM, yeah, into a CRM yeah. system that allowed us to have better contacts with our clients. And understand the requirements better so that was after a, a long process of uh, which toby oversaw of looking at various crm systems uh, we came up with salesforce uh, which was not a cheap investment and probably takes it's a 12 to 18 month investment before you start to get if you do it properly and you get proper people in to do it you don't try and do it yourself as an accountant because it will save a few quid you do it properly with proper professionals you then start to see the impact, and the impact we've seen certainly over the last six months has been dramatic. Both in terms of our client engagement, uh, the services we're, offered, we're able to offer to our clients. Coming back to a question we said earlier on, you know, in order for you to move from a practice to a business, what do you need to do? If you're serious about it, you need to invest, and you need to understand, you need to let it ride. You're going to make mistakes, and the minute it starts costing you money or you make a mistake... You don't stop it and go back to what you did at day one. You just have to evaluate the good things about what came out of it and then try and negate the bad things.
0: Yeah. So what kind of experience are you able to provide now with something like Salesforce?
2: I think this is where George comes in really on the marketing front, isn't it? Because we, we, what frustrated us about the um, lack of CRM was that we could only really do blanket emails and blanket. We couldn't target Specific information to specific clients
3: yeah so the segmentation um, in Salesforce is amazing and um, so it means that we can make sure that our clients are receiving information that actually matters to them as opposed to sending out blanket messaging so if there's legislation changes that affect R&D for example we can just send that to our R&D clients or businesses that we know within that sort of um, space that's Probably the the biggest change that we've seen at the moment in yeah. terms of our clients.
0: Do you use Salesforce as your marketing? We use as well? Pardot
3: as well. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, P- Pardot as part of Salesforce. Um. So the email marketing side of things, um, and also the landing pages on our website. Um. So our our content on our website over the next twelve months is big focus for us.
1: It comes back to our whole philosophy of having the right, having specialist stuff to do specialist work and deliver the correct results, not sort of bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. There's a software application to our broader philosophy of having specialists in to do specialist work.
0: Well, let's move on to the topic of mergers and acquisitions. You've acquired six firms over the years. Yeah, right. Yeah. What are the biggest reasons that you've seen for for firms generally to merge or to acquire? Like, why why should people do it?
2: Mostly, it's retirement sales, and I think the thing that I've noticed really lately the difference. It used to be very difficult to find good acquisitions and and it was people that were perhaps sell, leaving it too late, had people that with no succession plan and leaving it till they were in their sort of 70s even. And what I've seen change over the last few years is that I think younger people are finding it hard on their own. So we're getting approached by some cloud practices now that that actually have got to a certain size. I think it gets to, you get to about half a million, 600k in you're doing it all yourself, you know, and then you, like we said earlier, you've got to put a significant amount of investment in to get yourself out of the business. And not many people can do that. So looking at why we would buy, I think the reason that you'd look to buy is, to, is for quick growth. As I said earlier, that's a way of being able to take someone senior, hopefully, if, you, if you've done your homework right on an, an acquisition, with a portfolio so that they're not, under that immediate pressure of having to build their own and um, for us it's that scalability at at, a pace really
1: yeah I think so I think I think yeah being an accountant is no longer about understanding accounting stuff and tax stuff for me tech is a massive issue it's very fast very dynamic accountants aren't great at change you know if you're wearing lots and lots of different hats your main focus is your clients but then also you should be saying well we've got regulatory issues We've got tech issues. We can't get staff, and that's another reason. You know, some of the acquisitions we've had recently, they've just not been able to get staff because they're not big enough and they can't offer. There's can't no vision, off, is there? There's no vision. They can't offer the development. Well, you mm. know, how am I going to grow in this business when it's just you? So I think that that's another reason. There's another reason for our growth. You know, we've got a, a really, really good team, a really excellent team, a very, very good qualified individuals who are very dynamic but they wouldn't hang around for long if we just stood still because we couldn't offer them the growth and development and i think that's the that's the social aspect of where we are now you know when i was training in this, in the 80s you know we were still quite sleepy and we'd go at the pub at lunchtime and sort of rock up at 3 in the afternoon when i was in the city and all that sort of stuff everything was on a you know you'd send a fax and you know you'd probably a set of accounts to go out in the post it's not there anymore everything's immediate and I think that we're seeing that with a lot of the questions we get now from twenty-year-olds, twenty-one-year-olds, were probably questions I was daring to ask when I was forty. So you have to be able to react and work in that space a lot quicker. Yeah. And acquisition allows us to do that.
0: How do you even find a firm that's willing to sell? Is there like an accounting firm marketplace or something, well, or is it brokers, just a case of
2: we've just got built some good relationships with uh, brokers? Yeah. So they know. If a firm comes along. Um, so we work with um AJ Chambers, James Gosling there, and um also Vivian Schramm we're working with, and I think we did one with Draper Hinks as well. There's a lot of aggregation going on at the moment. I think the aggregators out there don't suit everybody. I think what appeals to sellers, you know, looking at us, is that we are still a family business, that we're not a big private equity company. It sort of struck me when um, we did our last few acquisitions is that we're we're already formulated. So I think a lot of accountants sit there and realise they need to change, but they probably haven't got a long enough runway. They're probably coming up to retirement, don't want to make that investment. They want to just, you know, cash, they know they're going to be cashing in. So they come to us and they can see it ready made. It's not something that they have to visualise or have to put their own investment into so they you know they can join forces with us and it again it comes back down to that sort of feeling playing to someone's strengths so um as Nigel said earlier when you're buying in specialist skills they're very good at those things so they don't have to worry about you know changing to the latest technology or creating a an 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 office environment that people want to come to um that's the thing that i tend to find with the retiring accountants. quite often the working environments aren't great you know um they're, they're again not invested in in their environment, so
1: and we also I, I think that we've sort of got a little bit of a reputation now in the market for doing this. We're, we're sort of reasonably visual, so obviously brokers are, is a route, but equally we get people approach us directly, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and that can be some of our accounting partners.
0: So, for someone looking to sell up in the next say three to five years, what are some of the things they should be looking at now and preparing
2: for? I think what again what we're seeing is the price is being driven down because there's more on the market. I think if you're not already digital, if you have a shortage of people, if you're doing a lot of the work yourself, you can't expect to get the best price. You're gonna to have to recognize that you're gonna to need to be involved for longer. Or if you wanna exit early, then you're gonna to have to not take the price. Something will, you know There'll be a hit there somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, I think you know we've had to walk away from a few to be honest, where that you know there's that realization that something they've thought was worth a lot of money when it comes to it, if they're sitting there doing sixty hour weeks and doing a lot of client work, it's not worth anything yeah you know, and if it's partner led that yeah, can be an issue it's a real issue yeah,
1: yeah so it's got to be scalable you've got to be able to you've got to start looking at at the business and- the important thing is you, you know, if you're looking at three to five years, you start planning now. You know, you don't sort of think, oh, well, I've just got out of tax and I'm really fed up with life. I'm going to stick it on the market. You can't expect to get a, be- a decent price for that. And And I think if we were advising our clients, we would be having a similar conversation. So I think you do need to be looking at the next tier below you, looking, you know, who have I got in this organisation that I can start to push work to? If I've got bad clients... You're going to be found out in due diligence. So get rid of those clients now. Get your pricing right now. You know, if, if you leave it for an acquirer, that's going to really dent your uh, margins. Software that you've got, again, you just need to be mindful. If you're getting into long-term contracts, that can be a real problem because one of the big strengths with from an acquirer's perspective is to be able to bring you onto a platform. So if you're tied into... You know, a, a long contract because you could get a better price. You need to be really, really mindful that that can have an impact.
2: I think you also have to consider that it might take a while to find the right fit. So it's quite time consuming process. So uh, you've got to keep your business running at the same time as, you know, it's actually quite stressful. We've got uh, Mark Taylor, um, who was a part managing partner of uh, Taylor Roberts that we acquired. He's carried on as part as a consultant for us, and he helps us now with acquisitions and the exiting partners. It's a very psychological, it's quite difficult thing when you've been building something and you've got to let go of it. You know, I think the common things when people are looking to sell is they want to make sure, more than anything, that their clients are looked after, that the people that work for them are looked after. So they're looking, not always about the money. You know, it's always about, well, who do I think is going to, fit the best i think that's the that's the thing that can take a bit of time and it can be quite difficult when you're trying to keep your business running at the same time i think
1: you're right i think getting you getting into the headspace of selling your business it sounds great you know you can see yourself skipping down the beach and all sorts of stuff like that,
2: that the reality
1: is that as it gets closer and closer and closer the emotional questions start to hit you so it seems well you know i've been doing this if you've been doing 60 hours a week and you suddenly do nothing you know that is a bit it sounds great but the reality is i can tell you, you it takes a lot of getting used to getting into this retirement mode however, however that wants to pack however you want to define that is a big big step i mean i can speak from you know i say i'm 60 in march and i'm gradually trying to scale back a bit but i still on occasions i'm supposed not to work on a friday but to be honest you can often see me loitering in the office on a friday <laughs> And i've got loads of stuff to do but it's a mindset thing if you've been conditioned to work in all your life and a lot of these sole traders really are yes we're business people but the reality is we are effectively employees with all the risk we don't act like business people and then to suddenly go cold turkey emotionally mentally is really really tough it sounds great because you deal with a lot of crap and what we have to do you've got to mentally be in the space and not do it because you feel you have to
3: I think it comes back down to as well if, if you're looking to sell sort of in the next two to five years it sort of loops back around to the conversation we were having earlier about working on your business although this time instead of working on the business to to grow you're working on the business to ultimately exit and I think you're right Nikki but in terms of the headspace um, side of things once the transactions happened and 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 you're no longer part of that company uh, you know whether it's for a period of time and you've got an earn out period and um, it's a it's a huge lifestyle change and i think what's been really nice with uh, i know you mentioned mark mark taylor is that he's now working sort of on the project basis with our clients actually in the m a space and and looking at helping clients prepare their businesses for sale because he's, yeah, he's been literally it. got real life mm-hmm. experience of, of going through that process and then coming out the other end so he can really sort of empathize with the clients
1: about what that experience is like i think mean, it's really good i mean technology is an enabler I and mean, we've talked a lot about being a tech company but we have to recognize here that Technology is an enabler, you still, that human impact is still the single biggest draw you have when you're working with your clients.
0: When it comes to bringing new people into the business, how do you help teams manage that transition?
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting question because I think the first acquisition we did, we got this horribly wrong. What we do now is we actually prepare not just the team that we're acquiring, but we prepare our team. I think the way I look at it now is that I think when you're bringing two sets of people together, however big that is, you're creating something new. So we do a lot of work beforehand now to get to know the people. We have a buddy system that works so that the company that we're acquiring, they have a buddy within the business. They come and meet that buddy before the deal's done. And it does take a bit of trust on on the seller's part because... I said, there's a lot of um, emotional fear once the decision's made, once the heads of terms are agreed. The next thing is really getting the teams to meet each other and take away that fear. The sooner you can do that, the better. So you don't want to leave that to the last minute. You want that to be really weeks before as due diligence is going on. And they get to meet people through the due diligence process, usually our central team, so sales, marketing, IT, um, And they get to know those people. Again, it takes that barrier down of it being something new. Nine times out of 10, I think the teams see it as a positive thing. Because usually we're buying a smaller business that we can offer more. But actually, it also goes the other way, that we've always been very open to change ourselves. So if there's something that they're doing better, we'll adopt. We've done that with several of the acquisitions where we sort of thought, oh, yeah, they're doing something good here. We'll copy that. Long and short is really just make sure you prepare people. I can probably tell you now when I walk in a room whether that business will fit with us just by the people that are in there. And um, it comes down to work, you know, that openness and friendliness. And that's probably the first thing. And I think being open, as George said earlier, explaining what we're doing, why we're doing it to both sides. So it's not just the company that we're buying. I think it's really, really important. I think you can't underestimate the importance of that. I mean, we've actually just appointed a change manager, which is a new role for us. But I think because we know we're on an acquisition trail, we know that we're going to have constant change, it's really important to invest time in talking to both sides of the equation.
0: How much of a part should a seller play in the transition process for teams?
2: I think it's really important. I think you know, Ultimately, you're asking someone to transfer their loyalty. So that's trust. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the trust equation. Basically, you don't earn someone's trust if it looks like your self-interest trumps credibility and reliability. So that's what people look for when they give you trust. And if you think about accountancy, we get trust from our clients by being credible. We know what we're doing. We're reliable and creating a sense of intimacy. But if a client feels or a person feels that your interest trumps any of those things they're not going to trust you so it's like you know when you get a salesman that, that comes in and sells you the dream and you think well, oh, be a bit cynical about that so we're asking someone who doesn't know us to trust us so it takes that takes time because we've got to build that intimacy part and we've got to do what we say we're going to do so that's the reliability part and the reliability part we have to stick to the things that we say that we're going to do on the client side, the first thing clients always say to the people that they work with is, "Are you okay? Is this all right? Are you happy about this?" So if we don't make those people happy before the deal's done, when the client asks the question, "Are you happy?" and they say no, then then you've wasted all your money. Yeah. And I think the exiting partners of the ones that have got those have got the trust.
0: I'm sure you've had your fair share of lessons learned over the years. What are some of the things to watch out for as prospective buyers?
2: I think the key thing is people. I think you've got to make sure you have common values. That's what takes the time because you can meet somebody and think that you have similar values. But it takes a bit of time going out for a few meals, seeing people in different, in different settings. That takes a bit of time. And I think that works both ways because if you don't get that part right, you won't get a successful transition Uh, and I think
1: the key thing is as well most of these deals uh, there's clawback provisions in there you can get the best price somebody can offer you a crazy price but I would always recommend them talk to other acquisitions if they've done other acquisitions because quite often you'll find that that clawback. now I hasten to say we've paid all of our um, acquisitions a hundred percent and we're really proud of that but we know there are certain aggregators out there that don't expect to pay the final thirty percent. So they might be offering you one times or one point one times, but the reality is you're only gonna get seventy or seventy five P and that's what they Why? Because they lose clients. Because they change things. So do your due diligence on your buyers I think is mm-hmm. probably the most important thing for me.
0: And as a seller, how do you make sure you're getting the right price?
1: A lot of it, as I say, it's really interesting. It's more EBITDA now, isn't it? It's more EBITDA now, and again, accountants are shuddering at this. But it is becoming more about you know a normalised EBITDA. Mm -hmm. So the old model of valuing on top line is pretty much almost secondary now. I mean, it might be a point, but it has to be a combination of top line and EBITDA. So So this is
2: where it comes in, doesn't it, with the partner? So if the partner's doing all the work you've got a factor of salary in, because generally they're not taking a salary, they're taking dividends. So, and they're not, maybe not thinking of that, you know, when they're looking at their profitability, if you put in a, a market rate salary for them, they're not actually making any money. So you can't then expect to, to get what you're looking for.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's knowing your numbers, you know, and as I say, I'm constantly amazed that a lot of the accounts we're talking to, you know, they'll talk about their top line fees, um, they'll say we're profitable, as Nikki says, usually without the partner taking a salary. And there's the old adage, which is a third, third, and a third. So you'd typically be looking at a 66% margin. There's this mythical one. I actually don't know anybody that's doing a 66% margin, if you factor in partner time into that uh, uh, analogy. So I think that it's it's knowing your numbers as to what they are. I mean, for me, a medium practice with partner time factored in, typically typically comes out about 45 percent, but people aren't going to buy not profitable business. we have we, there was one situation we had where the buyer wouldn't release their accounts to us because that's not what we're buying we're saying, well we don't know if you make any money or not and i think one of the big things you get with cloud at the moment is it can disguise a multitude of sins within the profitability of the the client bank and that then comes back to uh, my final rant of the morning which is about timesheets, there's a lot of people out there that jumped on the bandwagon and saying we don't need timesheets because, you know, it's all about the output. Well, that might be great for you, and usually the reason is that the partner doesn't can't be bothered to do a timesheet, so it's a really great excuse to jump on this newfangled idea of we won't do timesheets and everybody's going to be happy. Nobody likes doing timesheets, but the fact of the matter is that it disguises profitability. So the first acquisition we bought, they didn't do timesheets. And it turned out that they were working around the clock and they'd got three or four really good clients and an awful lot of really bad ones. So for me, you know, realistically look at what you're actually doing. Uh, and I say with cloud, you've got a lot of cloud people that don't use timesheets. We know the margins are so small in a lot of cloud business That If you're not doing timesheets, how are you going to know if you're over-servicing or not? And accountants will always over-service because they're nice people and that's what they do. So make sure you know your numbers and make sure that you can support everything you do at due diligence because you could fall over at due diligence and we've had that situation on a few occasions.
0: Any final words of wisdom?
2: I think the other thing, if you're a multi-partner practice... You have to be aligned in what you want from a buyer. Um, so I think we've had a few situations where the partners weren't really aligned. So it's quite difficult then to come up with a deal that's gonna work. So the rule of thumb is the more partners there are, usually the harder it is to do the deal. <laughs> I can imagine.
1: I think the biggest or thing longer, longer yeah, it takes. You're right the there. Deal. I think one of the biggest things as well, which is nothing to do with accountancy, make sure you've got your lease sorted out.
2: I think oh, yeah, yeah. the
1: biggest issue we've had with every single deal, now big or small, is it all comes down to you're ready to do the deal, but there's problems with the lease. So you know mates rates or whatever
2: dilapidations,
1: dilapidations. Get all of your ducks in a row on that because that can blow a deal out the water.
0: George, anything from you? Finish us off.
3: Um, so final piece from from me is really around the marketing side of things. I guess detaching yourself from the business you may not necessarily keep the brand that you've built up over the last 20 years and that's a huge thing and it won't necessarily happen overnight once the deal has been made but one day adams and co or whatever the practice is called may have another name and and the clients need to get their heads around that as well which is which is a big thing so i think another really important point um and a lesson that we've learned is to really have a plan for the pace of change there ultimately will be change in an acquisition, whether it's a, a small amount or, or a large amount, and it's really having a plan for that and taking the staff and the clients through that.
0: Thank you for that, that was really insightful, super interesting, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be very fascinated to hear all the ins and outs of mergers and acquisitions, so thank you all. Thank Pleasure, you. No, thank thanks for, for having, having us, <laughs> thanks for hosting us. I'm not gonna let you get away that easily though, there is, I, oh, always, no. um, <laughs> I always do a little, a little thing at the end. Um, for season two, we're doing Would You Rather.
2: Oh, no. Oh my, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God.
1: Go on.
0: Nikki, would you rather be able to take back anything you say or hear any conversation that is about you?
2: Oh, I definitely don't want to hear conversations about me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'll take the first. Okay. Nigel, would you rather have universal respect or unlimited power?
1: Oh. Uh... <laughs> never gonna have unlucky. I think universal <laughs> respect. Universal respect. Why? Why?
0: Instead of power.
1: The interesting thing for me is th- this whole gig is about for me, isn't about being huge or, or that sort of thing. It's about breaking the system and about changing it for the better. So that's really my modus, if you like. That that's what gets me up in the morning. So Whereas we didn't get a lot of respect in the early days, we had some rather nasty comments said about us. I think people are beginning to recognise what we're doing uh, and the benefit that it's coming, not internally and externally. So respect's a big thing for me. So, yeah, it's nice to be acknowledged.
0: Haters going to hate, don't worry about them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Haters, yeah, haters, you're not doing anything right if you haven't got haters. Yeah.
0: (laughs) George, would you rather give up air conditioning, and heating for the rest of your life, or give up the internet for the rest of your life?
3: Oh, air conditioning and heating, definitely. I'm not too bored about the temperature, but I definitely couldn't do without Facebook and LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. oh, no. oh no!
0: I'm. I feel like we should go like test you to like six months of that and just see how you. <laughs> no <survive>. aircon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or heating.
3: Or heating. Mm, yeah. <laughs>
0: All right, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Really appreciate your time. So thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, thanks. Ash. That's
1: awesome.
0: I'm Ash Gibson, and this is Beyond Numbers Season 2. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do hit the follow button, and whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or somewhere else, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and a review.